Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and we explore the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers and I'm Jared. I'm Ethan. Today we're going to be talking about some of the most interesting prison breaks in history. Well, at least ones we can cover with cover within a well, 50 minute time frame. <laughs> that's true. There's a lot there's of interesting ones a lot out, more there. out there. Uh, these are some of the ones that we find interesting. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, anything from kind of some more recent stuff to some older stuff and uh, kind of how they did it. And maybe we can even talk about would that even be possible today? today. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's dive in. All right, let's do it. Spartans, what is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world. So one of the things that this small one I, I saw, I, I hear people about people breaking out of jail all the time, like on the news. Yeah. I, I hear about it all the time. In fact, I just really, pulled, yeah, I, I feel like I hear it regularly. I guess I don't watch the news. I mean, much, just but. yesterday I heard, um, this was June 7th. There was a, a jailbreak, uh, where three inmates in Missouri County escaped jail on, on a late Friday night by digging through this, the plaster ceilings, uh, in their cells, so apparently the, the 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 building was old building. The ceilings were made of plaster, so they dug through their ceilings, and then they went. There was two guys in a cell. They dug over to another cell. They dug through, and then they got one guy out of the other cell, uh, and they just left through a maintenance door. I'm not. And they're still on the run. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. If I like had life in prison, you know, it's like. W- why would what you they, not try to? Gonna, yeah. Why would you not try to escape? What, what are, are they, they going to do? Put you back give in? you more time? Yeah. Put you. I mean, they could put you in isolation, but maybe you might already be in isolation. Or, I mean, it's like, why not try to escape? Yeah. Well, you know, it happens all the time, and then these people, you know, they they they're suspected of. This is just happened the other day. They're suspected of being on the run still. Well, they they thought they left Missouri, and there was one that just happened two or three weeks ago where they captured you know one or two of the guys. Uh, they were caught climbing over the fence, and there was a woman that was standing outside, and they questioned her for being an accomplice. I mean, this stuff happens to this day. I, I think we kind of have this idea. It's like, oh, it has to be some, like the show Prison Break. You know the show Prison Break? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, it has to be some insanely complex thing where I have to tattoo a map of the whole prison on my back, you know? <laughs> but really, it's just as simple as digging through the ceiling or and leaving through a maintenance door, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, Wow. Some some of these cases are, are quite bizarre, but um, I know that you've got some interesting ones. Yeah, so uh, the first one I want to talk about was uh, a very famous one. There's been movies about it, and, and MythBusters did a thing on it too. Well, and it's uh, the 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 famous escape from Alcatraz. So on the morning of June twelfth, nineteen sixty two, guards at Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary made a shocking discovery. Inmates Frank Morris and brothers John and Clarence Anglin had escaped. Um, Their daring deed baffled the authorities at Alcatraz, uh, since Alcatraz is over, first off, since it is over a a mile 
1.25 miles off the coast of San Francisco, and it is so heavily guarded that it's known as the Rock. The Rock. Yep. Right. So not only did they escape, right, but if they escaped the heavily guarded prison, then they would have had to swim swim through the pretty cold water cold, of San Francisco. That has weird tides and weird currents tides and, and currents, everything else. Pretty very choppy water over a mile. Um so no they can't be no they can't, can't be they done. actually do have they do have like a triathlon or like an event where people swim the the Alcatraz. Yeah. It's like swim to Alcatraz event. Yeah. And you can do do that. But, you could definitely do it. But so. it's not like I mean it's not easy for any means, especially yeah. someone who's wearing clothes, you know. Or been, like in, yeah, been in prison. So um Alcatraz has held prisoners since since the Civil War. Um and it was actually um refortified into a prison in nineteen thirty four. Um and it held inmates like Al Capone and a, and a couple other famous guys. So um one of the things with Alcatraz is that there were armed guards at every outpost. They had just installed new iron bars on every cell. And like we said, it was over a mile off the shore of San Francisco. And so between 1934 and 1962, there had been uh, 13 attempted and failed escapes from Alcatraz. Um, but that didn't deter our, our, uh, our boy Morris. And the the Anglin brothers. <laughs> so uh, these three guys they they fled Alcatraz on June 11th, so the day before they were found, right? Uh, actually, just a year before Alcatraz was closed uh, permanently. Um, Morris was a, a career burglar, um, but he was actually very very intelligent. He was probably they said he was one of the smartest inmates in Alcatraz. Um, and the, the Anglin's brothers were, were car thieves and just kind of, uh, petty criminals that just, they just kept getting thrown in, thrown in, thrown in, thrown in. And so they got put in Alcatraz. Um, so what they did is they stole spoons and saw blades and spent over six months, um, enlarging the ventilation ducts for their cells. First off, um, and Morris would actually play the accordion while the two brothers were working with their spoons and their saw blades to kind of muffle the sounds of the scratching and the, the, the everything else. So um, once they got the ducks big enough to where they could they could fit into, like their body into it, they would cover the, the ducks with cardboard um, and kind of they, they had made some kind of paint that they covered the cardboard with so it kind of looked like the same color as the wall. Um, and it was kind of underneath like this, this little thing. So you couldn't really, uh, you, you didn't really notice it when you were just walking by the cell or even if you were standing in the cell, unless you knew it there. So the ducks led to a utility tunnel, um, that, that they collected, um, a bunch of raincoats and they had tried to make, well, I mean, maybe they made, but they had tried to make a uh, a six by fourteen foot inflatable raft out of these raincoats and like glue and duct tape and whatever things that they could find, huh. um, and uh, basically the the 
the the last way that they were able to escape is that they created paper mache dummy replicas of their own heads and used like their own hair and and paint and paper mache and everything and and they left these heads in their beds kind of like covered up by the blankets a little bit because whenever the guards went went by they would do body checks and i think one of the rules is when they do checks is they have to see skin and so they had painted these uh these heads, these paper mache heads to be kind of like peach color, you know, skin colored. So whenever the guard is just walking by at three o'clock in the morning to do a body check, it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. With this flashlight because everybody's sleeping. Yeah. Um, and so they, they put these heads out, they went into the ducks, they got these raft, this raft that they had been making out of, uh, the rain, uh, coats. They took it up to the roof. um, and uh, no one ever saw him again. <laughs> uh, so, and the FBI launched a, a a full investigation of what happened. And uh, in 1979, that investigation uh, was concluded. Basically, I mean, 1979. This actually happened in 1962. So. This is 17 years later, the FBI was finally like, the conclusion basically was that all three men were dead. They must have drowned. Because yeah. there's no way they would have made it across, that there's, yeah. um, well, Of course, they wouldn't admit that they had Well, yeah, and, and, and not everyone is as convinced as the FBI is that these that these uh, guys are, are dead, particularly the, uh, the Anglin brothers, uh, two sisters that claim that um, Clarence had called them. One of the brothers had called them as a free man. Oh, really? Yeah. And Interesting. so, I don't know. Interesting. Maybe That's, it was a maybe it was a ghost call. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or maybe they're out there. Maybe they're out there. They got their name changed, and I mean. They're out there listening to a Brothers Creep podcast right now. Go ahead and call us in. Hey, if you're one of them Anglin brothers or Morris or whatever, you'd be old, but. <laughs> Give us a call, man. We'll have you on. We'll f- yeah, we'll fly into North Carolina and do a special a special event, a special episode. Yeah. yeah, what a crazy. Uh, so, d- did they find the the raincoats in? So the they, they found the raincoats. They found like a bunch of the cutoffs from the raincoats because they had been making this this big raft, right? Uh-huh. And so they um, did they think that they didn't use the raft, or they used? I don't know. I don't think they. I don't think they found the whole raft. I think they just found like bits and pieces. Um, so uh, you would think that if they took the raft into the water that they would have found it like no, I mean, it's somewhere like downstream, else, yeah. but maybe it just sank. I mean, it's at the bottom of the they just put San Francisco Bay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. That one's, that one's a cool one. So uh, one of the ones I, I have here is epic, like level, uh, escaping. So this is the story of El Chapo. Joaquin Archivaldo Guzman Lorea, who is a Mexican drug kingpin of the Sinaloa cartel. So this history, his starts, the story kind of starts in 1993 when uh, El Chapo, uh, that was his nickname, a lot of these guys have nicknames, was involved in a bloody shootout uh, in, Gu- in the Guadalajara airport. Uh, the authorities got him and put him in jail in, 1990, in 1995. So he was in jail in uh, Puente Grande 
which is in Jalisco, prison from 1995 to 2001. And basically, he had the root, he was the, what do they, how do they say, the rule of the roost, or what's the saying? Uh, he ruled the roost or something, I don't know. He was a king. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, there's a saying that, but I don't forget what it exactly is. But anyway, he was basically a king within this thing. He had all the creature comforts. Women could come in and see him. He had all, all within this. The, within the prison. Yeah. He had all this nice stuff. He had the warden under his thumb the whole time, basically. Uh, he spoiled the warden with new homes, properties. The warden's, warden's son got into some kind of medical issue. He paid all the warden's son's medical bills. Uh, cash, gifts, all this kind of stuff. And the warden would just allow it. Uh, in January of 2001, the Supreme Court of Mexico uh, ruled that the U.S. could extradite prisoners uh, to the U.S. prison system. And so that gave, uh, that made uh, him very, El Chapo very nervous because uh, he knew that he was a wanted man. Uh, and so it's interesting, later uh, that warden that was under his thumb just abruptly left uh, right before Peace. in like 2000 in the year 2000 because he it was there was a bunch of questions about like bribery and corruption and so he just left up and left uh, and when this whole thing came out um, this this Supreme Court ruling kid that said the U.S. could extradite criminals uh, El Chapo got scared so the next day he left the prison uh, it was said that he was the well, the story goes that it was said that he was smuggled out the door, a back door uh, into a laundry cart uh, by the guards, but uh, others claim he literally just probably walked out the door in a guard uniform. Uh, the laundry cart story is kind of a tall tale, you know, like uh, Captain Jack Sparrow wrestling up a tort, uh, some <laughs> making a raft out of some out turtles. Out of two sea turtles. But uh, so they think that, eh, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. But um, he allegedly, that escape cost him $2.5 million. That's how much he paid to get out of that prison. So Which probably really wasn't that much in his context of things. So anyway, he got out of that prison. Uh, and he returned to active duty in the cartel, uh, but he remained in hiding. One of his, he was very slippery, if you will. He w- would be able to evade the police all over the place. Uh, so he returned to active duty within the cartel. Uh, he's the kingpin of the cartel. Uh, and he went back to his hometown in Sinaloa to visit his mother uh, and his his family. And his hometown protected him. There's this area in Mexico called the Golden Triangle uh, between Durango, I think Guadalajara, and, and Sinaloa. It's in that, uh, that area of like kind of Chihuahua, Mexico, northern Mexico. And it's so out in the middle of nowhere that it's very difficult for people to for the police or army to get there. Uh, you know, these roads are often like you can go out on a dirt bike, but that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And so when the cops show up and their vehicles and stuff, that word travels very fast, especially when everybody in the whole town is bought off. Uh, and so everybody in the town was bought off. He would literally, uh, everybody in the town was farming opium and far farming marijuana. And Didn't he like... Build schools and build libraries. Well, that was Pablo Escobar, but oh, I, I this guy was very generous. Yeah. This guy was very generous as well. Uh, the farmers would grow poppy and marijuana, and he would buy it from them at a wholesale price. So they were happy. They were like, "He's buying it from me." Uh, he would charge them a thirty percent tax to guard their crops from the army or police. Though, uh, in one case, there's a guy who 
kind of renegotiated with El Chapo and, and said, well, how about, you know, you just pay me, uh, how about we just split the prop, like you pay me for my seeds and I'll, we'll just split the profit 50-50 on my farm. And he was like, okay. And the guy was talking about how, uh, you know, amenable he was to, to making that kind of a change, which, you know, isn't characteristic of a, a drug war kingpin. Yeah. And usually there's a lot of like strife between the actual growers and the drug lords themselves. So he had this whole town paid off, and they were they would basically do anything to protect him. Uh, he became basically a legend because uh, the government could not catch him. People would tell stories of how him and his bodyguards would walk into a restaurant, uh, take everyone's cell phones, and he would eat lunch or dinner, and then they would return everyone's cell phones and uh, pay for everybody's meals. Uh, and so, you know, he was just kind of like that. He was on the run for 13 years. They couldn't catch him. Uh, in 2014, he was recaptured, though. He, there was a joint operation with the U.S. Marshals, the Mexican Navy, and the local police to capture him while he was on vacation in Matitlan. Uh, they raided his hotel room and captured him while he was in his wi- bed with his wife. He had two twin daughters. I, th- I think that, well, he had twin ki- children. Uh, and he actually got up from his bed and he started kind of fighting him and wrestling him. He didn't go for the shotgun that was right beside his bed, so uh, they didn't kill him, uh, but they did definitely capture him. Uh, Between the the recapture and his uh, second escape, so he escaped again eventually, he argued back and forth with the courts over his arrest ad nauseum. Like, he had paid lawyers, and there was all this stuff about, well, the Navy didn't have a warrant to come in and arrest him like that. And then, all this stuff, and he's fighting extradition to the U.S. prison system because the U.S. was like, hey, give him to us, give him to us, give him to us. And Mexico was like, no, 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 no. We can handle it. We'll give him to you after he serves his 100-year sentence. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. And uh, so in July of 2015, he escaped for the second time. Uh, he went into this shower. So in his cell, there was like a little tiny wall where there was a shower that you could see on the camera. He went into a shower, and basically he pulled up a giant concrete piece from the floor, moved it out of the way, went down into a tunnel. Went down third... The, there there was a house uh, that was uh, just a little bit less than a mile, 0.93 miles away from the prison uh, that his team had built a tunnel from that house... The tunnel is 33 feet under the ground. 33 feet under the ground. The tunnel is 5 feet 7 inches tall, 30 inches wide. I mean, this thing was legit. It had, like, ventilation. It had uh, uh, support structures, like modern support structures. And it even had, like, rails rails within it, and it had a motorcycle that was in it. That um, it was attached to the rails. That was attached to the rails. So the people, the guards watching him in the room, they see him disappear. You know, it, it's almost like you could say, "Oh, well, maybe he's just sitting on the other side of this thing, uh, on the other side of that little wall in the shower." After 25 minutes, they went to go check on him, and that's when they found the hole in the ground, a hole in the shower. Uh, and then so they went down, like, "What the crap?" And so he had gone down. They believe that he ran out uh, on that motorcycle to get out. Uh, and the government uh, was obviously egg on their face when he got out for the second time. So he, he disappeared into the ether. Uh, 
<laughs> and they were, uh, you know, pretty upset. And the U.S. was like, are you kidding me? You could not hold him uh, in that prison. He got out again. Uh, and the Mexican government's like, yeah. In fact, there was a delegation uh, of President Felipe Calderon and his secretary of, or minister of secretary of security or whatever, were on a, they went to France uh, on like a trip. And they both, or at least the, the secretary of, Security, I think it was called. He came back to, to, to when this happened. Yeah, he came back because this happened, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this is a big deal." And uh, interestingly, though, I was watching a, a, a Vice documentary about this, and the guy they let the, the guy, the reporter, go into the tunnel from the house and just kind of look around a little bit, and then they let him go in to the other end of the tunnel uh, from the prison. But they, the government, has not yet allowed anybody to transverse the entire length of the tunnel. Hmm. So that's a little fishy, some people say. They say, well, maybe the government is just like making this up. Maybe they just let out of jail. Uh, so, but it's probably likely he used the tunnel. Uh, but I think it's weird that the government hasn't let anybody transverse the entire, le- the entire tunnel to s- make sure it actually connects. So, uh, so the second manhunt begins, right? Uh, so a Mexican actress, Kate Del Castile, and Sean Penn requested to interview him for a Rolling Stones article. Uh, and they met him at a remote ranch, and he told them that he had a fleet of narco submarines, airplanes, trucks, and boats, uh, and that he supplied more heroin, methamphetamine, and cocaine and marijuana than anybody else in the world. So obviously he was pounding his chest, boasting of what he can do. And uh, still doing it. And that would probably would have led to his downfall here because they got captured again. Uh, this meeting helped direct uh, police to where he was, which led them to, to raid the ranch. Uh, this led to a shootout, but he was actually able to escape. Uh, in January 2016, the military and Navy tried to capture him again at another location along the coast, uh, but uh, he was able to escape through a another tunnel at that was 1.5 kilometers long he was able to do another tunnel and in one of his these other houses uh it's like uh this guy's like a tunnel rat yeah seriously man he's got escape uh, hatches everywhere what was that like uh you watched better call Saul, right yeah did you see when lalo escaped through the tunnel uh-uh. oh well Lalo has a. You, you, see, you know who Lalo is right yeah he's I, one I, of the I've only cartel seen, I've guys seen the first first few of them anyway it's a really good episode. You'll have to see that. But he's also got a tunnel. Um, they like come try to kill him, and he's got a tunnel in his house, and so he goes out the tunnel. Uh, so he was, so he escaped through that tunnel. They they stole a car, uh, and then they were driving down. And then two police officers, uh, this is still in Mexico, stopped him. Guzman, well, El Chapo, uh, attempted to bribe the officers with offers of cash, properties, offers of jobs. Uh, when these officers refused, he told them, you were all going to die. Uh, the four police officers sent pictures of Guzman uh, El Chapo uh, to their superiors who were tipped that 40 assassins were on their way to free him. Uh, and so to avoid the counterattack by the cartel members, the policemen were told to take their prisoners to a motel on the outskirts of town to wait for reinforcements. Uh, and later they... They handed over the prisoners to the Marines 
and then they took him back to the prison he had just escaped from. <laughs> well, months earlier, but uh, yeah, I was kind of reading that one part, and I was like, oh man, there's just like a stand, like an Alamo type standoff between the cartels and the and these four police officers who decided not to be corrupt, you know? Yeah. But it didn't look like there was any type of standoff like that. Uh, and then so the extradition immediately the u.s was like okay hand him over uh now please Uh, enough games you guys obviously can't handle someone like this and so el chapo's lawyers put up a fight and in the end a federal judge involved in a federal judge involved a mexican federal judge involved in the extradition was assassinated later Hmm. likely by el chapo's guys right uh because he didn't play along uh and he was finally extracted one year later in 2017 to New York where he stood trial. Interestingly enough, in, in the trial, the, all the witnesses were kept anonymous so they couldn't be targets. He was found guilty of... All the jurors, you mean? All the jurors, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, he was found guilty of a bunch of different stuff. He was sentenced to 30 years, life plus 30 years, in order to forfeit $12.6 billion. <laughs> or to forfeit. No, and ordered to Oh, for- in order. Ordered okay. to forfeit. Uh, he was then transferred to Colorado Supermax prison facility, solitary confinement. Is he still there? Still there to this day. Huh. I don't think he's getting out unless the cartel. That that's the most secure prison in the U.S. I believe. It's yeah. a Supermax prison in Colorado. I think it's in Colorado Springs. Interesting. So huh. that's the real deal, man. You do not well, want to go to that Supermax prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if you. If you live the life of a of a hundred men before you actually uh, get to that point, oh, how old is he? Do you think? I mean, I think he's in his fifties, probably. I just based off of the pictures, I don't know how old yeah. he actually is. I mean, he was, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly, but that's an interesting one. Um, crazy, yeah, slippery as a snake. I don't actually, I don't know. How Paid off everybody yeah. around him, man. Hey, man, grease in the hand. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have another one here, a, a guy named uh, Richard McNair. So he his actually his, his father was a police officer, um, but he got involved in a bunch of different things, and he actually killed two people um, and was uh, sentenced and, and put in a federal prison in Pollock, Louisiana. And so on April 5th, 2006... Um, he built it within the prison. So I guess he, he worked in kind of an area where they would, uh, like the mail room area of the prison. So he actually built a compartment or a, a, a makeshift, um, compartment inside of this box that was being this big box that was being shipped. So he built himself a compartment within that box that was a very, very, very tight squeeze for him that he had to have, he like retrofitted it with like a breathing tube to go out and everything else. Well, he he uh, placed himself in this box and set it next to the, the mail bag or the mail pile that was supposed to be taken out. He must have been a small guy. Yeah, so I, I have no idea, but... Um, the obviously the mail bag coming out of a prison is going to be or the mail pile is going to be massive and it's going to be you know all different kinds of stuff so just this big box that was sitting you know next to this big pile was well okay this goes too and so it was taken out as well um 
And so it was taken to a nearby warehouse that was on the outside of the prison. Um, it was actually taken there with a forklift because um, it was like this really heavy box. I mean, obviously, they didn't know a person was inside of it, but they took it to a warehouse that was outside of the prison. So <laughs> the, the guy, uh, Richard, this is what he said about the box. He said, so this is in Louisiana in late April. And so, oh, gosh. So he says, the heat was unbelievable. The inside of the pod felt like a furnace. Sweat rolled off me, and my head was swimming in the fog. I was afraid I would pass out. It was such a tight fit. I couldn't wipe the sweat from my brow, and it was running into my eyes and down my neck, dripping from the tip of my my nose and everywhere else. So it was so tight that he couldn't even like wipe the sweat. Oh my gosh! That he was just like it was just sitting there, just like. So uh, he could kind of hear what was going on in the warehouse, but uh, once the warehouse staff left for lunch, he cracked the box open and he bolted Mm -hmm. and he ran. And um, he was actually caught running down a nearby railway by a police officer. And the police officer's like, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. You know, we got to... We got a prisoner on the loose here, whatever, was talking to him. He actually convinced the police officer that he was not the guy who just had escaped from a prison. Didn't he have a prison get-up on? I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. But he just convinced the cop that he was just, like, out for a jog or that he was just like, I'm not that guy. Oh, gosh. And the cop just was like, okay. So this was, uh, this was April of 2006. And so uh, the cop just let him go. And um, he remained at large until late 2007 when he was arrested for driving a stolen vehicle. Oh, no way. So, yeah. So, I mean, he escaped and he was at large for over a year and a half. Just kind of, I mean, I don't know what kind of quality of life he was living, but. That's crazy. Yeah. He mailed himself out of prison. Hmm. Which is interesting. That's wild. I actually was one of the ones I was saying, this happens recently. Just recently, like this past month, there was a guy who broke out of jail. And there was a family of five that was on vacation in an Airbnb. He went, it was like in the woods or something like that. Mm-hmm. He killed all of them. And uh, he was, I think, eventually captured. But yeah, it's like, dude, we need to get some serious prison reform, reform here. here. We need to get these things locked down, man. These people shouldn't be escaping all the time. Why are we putting people in a prison with a plaster ceiling? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, is that you had these, and this is, you know, criminals go to prison to become better criminals, right? Yeah, exactly. And they have all day, every day, to think about stuff like this. Yeah. And they're just sitting in a room all day, and they, you know, a lot, most of the time, they don't have, like, any sort of entertainment or whatever else, and so what are they going to do? They're going to poke and prod and pinch and whatever else and figure out, you know, what they can do and what they can't do. Yeah. And they're going to push the limits. Yeah. Um, the last one that I had was from... Um, remember the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yep. So the guy's name was, uh, that was Leonardo DiCaprio, but the actual <laughs> guy's name was Frank uh, Abagnale. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had done a bunch of different things and counterfeiting and and uh, impersonating different people and stealing bunches of money and all kinds of stuff. So he... Um, ultimately was captured in 
France in 1969, and he spent six months in a regional prison, and then another six months in Sweden, where he was then deported to the United States. Um, And so he was sentenced to 12 years at a federal detention center in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, So uh, he, realizing that the... So they, they convicted him or whatever it's called, and then they were actually moving him from one prison to... Uh, he had been in a prison system for a while, but they were moving him from one prison to another system or another prison. And the guards from the prison that he was going to, I mean, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know him from from Adam, right? But the guards, they they were like talking out loud to themselves in the transport vehicle, and they were suspicious that if he was a a, a prison inspector from the FBI. And so they were like, they were kind of, because it was kind of a weird circumstance, and they were like, oh, you're not a, a prison inspector, are you? You know, and they were just kind of joking with him, but they were trying to s- see if he would, like, admit to being a prison inspector. Yeah. Because it was such a weird circumstance that they were moving him at that time. And so he uh, he he got to work, right? He started conning these guys. And, I mean, Abagnale was a, a, he was a con man. And a, so yeah, exactly. a confidence man. And he, yeah, he started, totally. he started playing and he started playing that angle and he started, Oh, you know, and whatever else. And he started saying, well, no, you know, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And everything. Well, eventually he, he kind of convinced him that, okay, yeah. Okay guys. All right. You caught me, you caught me. And so he convinced him that he was a prison inspector that was under contract by the FBI to, to check out the prison security or whatever else. So, he um, uh, asked one of the guys, he said, okay, um, he said, hey, can I borrow um, one of you guys' car? He said, I, you know, I need, to, I need to go do something. You know, I'm this prison investigator guy. Uh, he had like, for some reason, he had gotten some kind of like fake document or something like that that, that is this while he's in prison, or is this this, this still was in the car this, on the way over? Well, there? well this was uh, he had gone to prison and back and forth or whatever, but this was kind of during the transport. Okay, yeah, and he uh, had like a, a, a some sort of documentation thing that um, said that he like wasn't an inmate, and it, I'm not exactly sure what the document said, but uh, he convinced these guys that yeah, he was just a prison investigator under contract by the FBI. He convinced them that, hey, I need to borrow your car for a couple minutes. I'll be right back, yada, yada, yada. And uh, so they, they gave him the keys to their car, and he got in their car, and he was gone. Um, he was arrested two months later in Washington, D.C., um, and he was uh, they, they re-imprisoned him and gave him four more years <laughs> <laughs> for escaping. Wow. And so uh, that's something that's just kind of interesting that the confidence of, well, number one, the stupidity of the guards to even like. They had no idea who they were dealing with. They had no idea who they're dealing with. And they were like asking it, you know, it's like, dude, don't even freaking talk to the convict. Yeah. His ability to con you is literally why he's in jail. And so, I mean, they didn't know that, but still, I mean, he, he saw an opportunity and he ran with it, literally. 
Um, That's funny. C- convinced someone to literally give them their car keys and took their car. Yeah, Imagine well. how dumb you'd feel as a, as that. Yeah, <laughs> as as that you uh, gave him what? Well, yeah. you know, I just, he was uh, really convincing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted him to give me a good report. You know, yeah, it's like exactly. oh geez, I was trying to do it for you, Warden. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's just kind of a short story that I read quickly, and I mean, I I just kind of briefly described it, but uh, yeah, these are really interesting. People are crafty, crafty, and slippery, and. Uh, they a lot of times they outthink the police, um, and they outthink the people. You know the security guard that's standing there, the correctional officer in the prison that's thinking about his home life or thinking about something else. Yeah, yeah, his divorce or his whatever else. And how many times do how many times do I see the news where you get one of these guys, these prisoners that will seduce? a female guard, yep. uh, and then she ends up letting him out, and they're on the run. You know, that happens all the yeah. time. It's just like or, these manipulations. Or, yeah, I mean, or how are people getting drugs into prison or cell phones or whatever else? Um, it's A lot of times it's prison guards. Oh, they're yeah. smuggling that stuff in, and they're getting bribes. Yep. I just watched uh, Shot Caller Shot Shot the other day. Yeah. I, I, I had seen pieces of it, but I watched it all the way through. It was good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh I think the preview is better than the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough to watch. It was crazy. Yeah, he he turns into an absolute monster. Yeah, but all right, guys. Well, hopefully you enjoyed some of these stories. They were entertaining to you. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more out there. But uh, hey, we like history. We like learning about these kind of things. And and uh, if you ever escaped prison, let us know. We'll have you on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do that. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining us today. Let's build that creed together. All right, let's do it.